Welcome to Wyoming, my 307. I'm Carla Mowell, and I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy 2024. I don't know about your family, but this year has been more than eventful, and unfortunately that slowed down my podcasting dreams a bit. No worries, though, I did offer you several episodes, and I have three interviews already recorded and ready to share with you in 2024. Last year, I made my very first Christmas episode, and I thought it would be fun to restart the podcast with some Christmas cheer. So today, I'm giving you a historical tour of Christmas in Wyoming starting in 1859. The Wyoming Historical Society has an image of what they say was the first documentation of Christmas in Wyoming. They have a little black and white sketch that shows an indoor scene in what looks like a log structure. A group of eight men in uniforms and long coats are along the right-hand side of the image. One of them is holding up a Bible. And on the left side are eight Native Americans including an elder, several adults, and a child. And right in between the two groups is a big Christmas tree glowing with candles. The Wyoming Historical Society helps us understand what we're looking at with the following explanation. Lighted candles warmed what may well have been Wyoming's first decorated Christmas, before there was a Wyoming. At Christmas 1859, a lighted tree filled most of a small log building on Deer Creek, about two miles upstream from present Glen Rock, Wyoming. Packed closely around were some army officers, a native family, and a few German Lutheran missionaries. Missionary Moritz Breininger read from the scriptures, Captain W.F. Reynolds, his officers, and the Indians all listened closely. The Oregon Trail ran nearby, and downstream at the mouth of Deer Creek on the North Platte was a busy stage station and trading post. Government exploration, Indian business, and high hopes had brought these people together. Reynolds was leading a small two-year expedition of soldiers and civilian scientists from the U.S. Topographical Engineers. They were there to explore regions drained by the Yellowstone River. They had come down to the North Platte from the Yellowstone as winter was closing in. Two years earlier, in 1857, a group of Mormons had begun building a stage and freight depot on the site. It was for a planned west-wide operation to be owned and run by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Later that year, as the U.S. Army marched towards Utah to reestablish federal control there, the Mormons abandoned the place. A year later, in 1858, the independent-minded Thomas Twiss, a U.S. Indian agent to the tribes of the Upper North Platte, had moved his agency 100 miles up the river from Fort Laramie and established it on Deer Creek, in those very buildings that the Mormons had abandoned. So by 1859, there were likely to be tribal people there who had business at the agency and Lutherans who were there to proselytize. We have an account and another sketch of Christmas on Deer Creek in 1863. Just a reminder, the Civil War was still raging, and Christmas was not even an official national holiday at that point. Here's that account. 
That Christmas on Deer Creek, three little Cheyenne boys were converted. Their English names were Brown Moccasin, Little Bone, and Owlhead. The missionaries described them as orphans, though their families certainly objected. Historian James Nottage reports, quote, On Christmas Eve, 1863, the boys were enthralled by a tree decorated with candles and happily received presents, including harmonicas, which they played late into the night. On Christmas Day, the youngest boy, Brown Moccasin, was baptized and renamed Frederick B. Sigmund Christopher. Little Bone's baptism followed the next Easter, and he was renamed Paul, end quote. The Historical Society concludes, As we can imagine, things did not turn out well, especially for the boys. But those two Christmases can still remind us of the complex motives and forces that were always mixing people in unlikely ways in those times and in ours. And maybe they can help us remember, however we got here, we're all in this together. And now a historical mashup of two cultural giants, Owen Wister and Frederick Remington. I talked about Owen Wister in episode two, Language of the Rocks, where I featured the historic town of Medicine Bow, Wyoming. Wister is well known there where the historic Virginian Hotel was named after his book. In fact, Wister traveled widely in Wyoming, and his first Wyoming experience was also along Deer Creek at the VR Ranch. Wister later spent significant time at the beautiful Occidental Hotel in Buffalo, where the Virginian restaurant is also named after his book. And eventually, he bought a summer cabin near Jackson. Wister drew from all these experiences in his writing. You see, he is recognized as the creator of the Western genre in literature, and this later became a film and television staple. His novel, The Virginian, has since become the archetype of Western mythology. It's the cowboy, the rustler, the settler, the white-hatted hero. And what Wister created in words, Frederick Remington did in images. Like Wister, Remington was an Easterner who fell in love with the West. Remington was a Yale-educated painter and sculptor. His first published sketch appeared in an 1882 issue of Harper's Weekly. It was one of a Wyoming cowboy. His work, though, even at the time, was a nostalgic look at an already disappearing Western frontier. Then President Teddy Roosevelt recognized that Remington, quote, has portrayed a most characteristic and yet vanishing type of American life, the soldier, the cowboy and rancher, the Indian, the horses and the cattle of the plains. So when you imagine the Old West, you're actually imagining images that Remington created and Wister wrote about. So what does all this have to do with Christmas? Well, remember that I found a Christmas story that's a collaboration between Owen Wister and Frederick Remington. It's called A Journey in Search of Christmas, and it was published in 1904 and is actually now in the public domain, so I have a link to the whole thing in the show notes. The story opens with a scene that we are all familiar with, that last-minute shopper with a list in hand except this shopper is actually the governor of Wyoming. 
And here is a slightly adapted short excerpt from A Journey in Search of Christmas, written by Owen Wister and beautifully illustrated by Frederick Remington. The governor descended the steps of the capital slowly and with pauses, lifting a list frequently to his eye. There were the names of his friend's children, to whom his excellent heart moved him to give Christmas presents. Now he had put this off until the lastest day, as was his custom, and now he was setting forth to do the whole thing at a blow, entirely planless, among the guns and rocking horses that would presently surround him. The story goes on to introduce a variety of crusty characters, including cowboy Lynn McLean, who rides into the frontier town of Cheyenne, and together they learn the powerful meaning of Christmas. I'm going to be honest, even though it is a short book, it was not an easy read. I guess it's just the language of the time, but the illustrations are just beautiful. I'll have at least one on Instagram for you. And that opening scene just perfectly captures that panicky feeling of last minute Christmas shopping. But it can be done even out here in small town Wyoming with our local businesses bravely open through the winter. You would be surprised even our littlest towns have shops and makers and corner stores that have nice things for us to buy right now. Give them a try. No need to wait for that package to be delivered or not. And that brings us to our next offering from the equally iconic and famous Charlie Russell. Now he's Montana's adopted artist, but is also hugely known here in Wyoming thanks to the Buffalo Bill Museum in Cody. They have over 50 paintings, 12 illustrated letters, 97 drawings, and 194 sculptures by Russell. Now what you may not know is that Charlie Russell loved Christmas, and he's known for his handmade cards with original illustrations. Here's his poem, Christmas in the Foothills. That joshing moon, a riding skies, has got me looking through kids' eyes. Tonight, if I'd heard them jingling bells and pop of lash like Ma once tells, I'd bet this is old Santy's team, all right. But if it is, he's shy a line hoss now. I think he's talking about reindeer, though. The lead bull's in my pan. I'll bet a cow that when this old gun busts a shell, it's meat for Christmas, sure as... Well... <laughs> It won't be canned nor slicings of a sow. I've been out all day and never seen a track. Look like there'd be no Christmas at my shack. But my luck knocking down this bull will bring me more than both socks full as free as out of Santa Claus's pack. And that was Christmas in the Foothills by Charlie Russell. In the show notes, I have an image of his last hand-drawn Christmas card, along with all the other links from today. So fast forward to another historical slice of Christmas in Wyoming, and again the German influence on Christmas in Wyoming, but these are not ordinary German immigrants. I'll start with another little poem. Greetings for Santa Claus. Oh, Santa Claus, now we greet thee, who can come but from Germany, 
we greet thee in a troubled time, and in the great folk strife afar, the dear old German Christmas feast we must spend as prisoners of war. War <laughs> has to rhyme with afar. <laughs> that poem was written by a World War II prisoner of war at Camp Dubois in Wyoming, and it was translated by Lowell Bangerter. It's in a book by Wyoming author Cheryl O'Brien called World War II POW Camps in Wyoming, and it would make a great gift. I featured Cheryl in a bonus episode about World War II in Wyoming, and this is how she describes Christmas Eve at a POW camp. Three feet of snow fell at Christmas time, 1944, on a small, isolated prisoner of war timber camp near Dubois, Wyoming. Prisoners and army camp staff were snowbound together for several days. On Christmas Eve, POW Rudolf Ritschel noted, they all, quote, celebrated together quite according to German custom. The men on both sides were deeply impressed by the entertainment presentations, end quote. Lieutenant Harold Harlemert, commander at Camp Dubois, provided details about the Christmas program that the POWs put on in their mess hall, a program that he said was, quote, exceptionally good. The prisoners set up a special table for the American personnel, too, and shared their Christmas items and food with them. The POWs even provided typed, printed programs, which included acts and poems that teased several POWs and U.S. military personnel. A small orchestra performed Christmas music, the commander noted, and prisoners sang German Christmas songs. A special Christmas tree lighting was included. The U.S. Army camp interpreter, acting as Santa Claus for them, cut out big PW letters and pinned them on his own back. The prisoners got a big kick out of this because they were required to wear PW letters on their clothes. The commander recalled that, quote, among the gifts that Santa distributed were a bunch of letters addressed to the POWs. These letters had just come in from their homes in Germany. Wow, imagine being a POW at an isolated timber camp and getting a letter from home on Christmas Day. I can't imagine a better gift. Well, I have one more Christmas treat for you. I discovered a treasure trove of historic audio online at the Wyoming State Archives. There are hundreds of interviews of ordinary people as well as known leaders from across Wyoming, and a Christmas gem that I found is an interview of one Louise Graff of Green River, Wyoming. The focus of the interview is her experience as the foreman of a jury in a murder trial in 1950. That was the first Wyoming jury to include women since the 1870s, and half of that jury were actually women. Together, they convicted one Otto Long of second-degree murder, after which his attorney complained that he would have never lost that murder case if it wouldn't have been for those damn women. But back to Christmas. Before sharing her experience as a prominent jury foreman, Louise briefly shared a Christmas memory. Let's hear it from Louise herself.
Louise Skinner Graff. Spinner. Spinner. Mm -hmm. Spinner Graff. Uh -huh. And you've lived in this area all of your life. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned that the Spinners came in 1868. I wondered if you could start just by telling me a little bit about that. Well, I'll tell you, uh, my uh, father had an uncle that came to the United States to St. Louis before the Civil War. And, in fact, he was in the Civil War. And then he was wounded and discharged and came with the Union Pacific Railroad to Green River. And it came in 1868. And he was a bachelor. And he uh, finally brought a brother and a sister of his over here from Germany. And then in 1890, my dad came as a young man. I think he was 16 years old. And uh, learned the butcher trade. And he was here for about seven years. And then he went back to Germany, and uh, then in 1901, he and my mother were married, and came to, uh, let's see, they were married in June, uh, in April, and in uh, June they came to Green River and lived here the rest of their life. Years ago, there was a lady that always opened her house to the uh, Girl Scouts at Christmas time, and... Uh, they would come and see her Christmas tree and things. Now, that's something I must tell you about, my, my old-fashioned Christmas tree. Uh, I have a Christmas tree, and the Girl Scouts still come every year to my house. And they started then. First, they come to my house, they go to hers. But my, I didn't have refreshments, but she did. But now I do, because she has passed away. And uh, this Christmas tree stands from the floor to the ceiling. It has ornaments dating from my first Christmas, when I was a year old. And every year, something has been added to it. Until now, you can barely see the tree. And I still have candles on it. I have six streams of lights, however. But I have candles. And you'd be surprised how few people have seen, uh, the younger people that have seen actual candles on a Christmas tree. And uh, uh, the year before my husband passed away, I he called me. And am I talking too long? No, you're doing fine. And... Uh, uh, he called me. I was in the basement. He said, I'm going to show you something. I said, what do you want to show me? He said, come quick. It can't wait. And he had lit every one of those candles on that Christmas tree. It was the most beautiful oh, thing you could just imagine. Don't you just love her? Her story kind of brings everything together for me today. Again, the German immigrant influence and the fact that she was first inspired by another lady in Green River to put up a beautiful Christmas tree and host the Girl Scouts. All of that reminds me that the magic of Christmas in Wyoming comes from the generations of church ladies, volunteers, and other pillars of our community. They are the ones organizing the parades, hosting kid events, and offering religious services that make our holidays so bright. And I hope you get out there and enjoy some of that Wyoming Christmas magic. And once again, happy 2024. I promise I'll be back soon with more podcast episodes about Wyoming places, history, and nature. Thank you.